My name is Jacob Yarbrough. I serve here as one of the elders at Calvary Bible Church. And uh, this morning I'm going to read from the book of John. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I invite you to, to follow along with me if you've got your, your copy of God's Word. Or if you've got your, your phone or some other device that let you read. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee... And the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone Water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then that which is poor, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And may God bless the reading of his word. Murray. Hi, folks. Morning. Just wonderful to be here with you today. And uh, I believe Paul, when he wrote Romans, he was in Corinth, and he said, I long to impart something to you. And it's been my joy and delight to be here with you. And my prayer is that this is a lasting and abiding impartation. Uh, we hear things and then we forget them. But our privilege, friends, is to find out that the very word, the Logos, is alive within us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit keeps on bringing to mind the things that Jesus is to us, his truth and his grace. And so um, we're very grateful this morning for the Word of God. We are looking at a big theme. And John's Gospel really does have a big theme for us. Because if it were just for the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are more linear. They tend to begin with the birth narratives and end with the resurrection narratives. John invites us into a perspective that takes us all the way back to infinity past. In the beginning was being the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then takes us into the historical past. And we find that the Word came to be flesh. And literally, 
pitched his tent amongst us. And God did that mission trip intentionally. Because without God sending Christ, we would have no light. We wouldn't even understand that we were stumbling around in the darkness. So we, he pitched his tent amongst us and we beheld, we gazed with intensity upon his glory. The glory of the unique one, full of grace and full of truth. And then John is going to take us not just from the historical past or the fact of the incarnation and the meaning of the incarnation, but John's going to bring us right into the present. No one at any time has seen God. However, the unique son, God sent his monogonase, huios, meaning his unique son is one of a kind that, um, that he would exegete God. So the whole purpose of God in Christ is to send us life. Well, we might easily push back and say, why do I need life? I've got it. Well, our life is B-I-O-S, bios. And we know that biological life has this fundamental problem. It's terminal. We face that because we know people die. They get overcome by death. And we also know that we face the terminal nature of our biological life in many different ways. In our mind, the way in which we think, sometimes in our emotions, and also in our wonderful abilities. We have many, many abilities, but they are terminal. They arrive at a terminal nature. And so God sent Christ, and in him is life. This Greek word is Z-O-E. He uniquely sent that payload to us in Christ. And his life is Ionios. Everlasting, that's a given. Will we live with him forever? For sure. But the temporal syntax here is not really the issue. The issue is the qualitative life that God brings to us in Christ Jesus. It is Ionios. It is eternal. It overcomes death. And it overcomes all of our terminal abilities. And so his life is also light. And his light shines in darkness. And darkness does not overwhelm the light. Because darkness is the absence of light. So the very nature of the life of Christ is to reveal and to show. Friends, God hasn't come and sacrificed so that we could be kept in the dark. Yeah, there are marvelous, 
vistas of the majesty of Almighty God to be received and enjoyed. And I'm convinced that when we get to heaven and divest ourselves of the tent of this age, all of eternity is going to be the unveiling of the mighty majesty of the vistas of our eternal God. There will not be one moment in heaven that is boring. It will be like the most perfect sunset we're ever seen. We'll be going, oh, oh, wow, did you see that? I didn't know that. What day will be boring in heaven? None. And so God has not kept us in the dark. And if we truly understand the divine nature of God that is in us, and if we have a divine dissatisfaction, and if we know that God is not holding out on us, if we come to understand that we are the children of God, and it is glorifying to God for us to want to know him. God is seeking us. He's after you. He wants to bring divine revelation so that not one day on earth is boring, but a constant entering into the wonder and the majesty of Almighty God. But his life is light and it's also love. And so God says at the coherent center of the Christian life is his great command to be loved by God and to love others as I love myself. And this might be a great mystery to us because we, uh, you know, I don't know that I'm really established in the love of God. Yeah, God loves us unconditionally. But am I really truly established in the love of God? And why is it sometimes that I know God loves me, but yet His love appears to be so elusive? Why is it that times I feel insecure and alone? Ultimately, it's not good to be alone. Our Creator made that declaration and every one of us know that the thing we fear most is aloneness. Why do we sometimes feel alone? Well, I have to wake up in the morning and where I wake up is in the rational. And yet the great command is relational. And so God says to me, I need to push back on the rational and turn to the relational and proclaim the presence of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and welcome the Holy Spirit because fellowship happens by invitation given and invitation received. You're here today not because anybody forced you but because an invitation was given and you're here, you're free to go if you want to. True? And that's what it's like with God. He never 
leaves us or forsakes us. But sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit. We don't mean to. Who of you would say, man, this is really a good idea? How come we, why don't we just wake up tomorrow and say, God, I've got to thank you. I really don't need you today. Would you ever say that? Well, you know, if you say that to him, he'll have to step back and say, I'm not going anywhere, but you got it. Now, we don't intend to do that, and we would never do that, but sometimes we wake up, and because of fear and insecurity, we get going and we try to manage our lives. And he is Abba Daddy. He is Almighty God. He is magnificent. He created and sustains everything by the power of the Logos. How ridiculous that at any time I might be deceived to resort back to my bios life when I have the full life that is eternal available to me. So the key is found in John chapter 15 where God says, Now abide in me, this Greek word meno, first appears in John chapter 1. John the Baptist testifies and he says, the one upon who sent me said this, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. Abide. That one will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. Now, whose word do you want to take today? <laughs> I choose to take the word of Almighty God and say, God, thank you for the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Lord, this is a great mystery. But you say to me that my body is the temple. Not just the outer court, not just the court of the priests. The word here is naos, and literally it referred to the holy of holies. That God says that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I don't always feel spiritual. I don't know about you. But no matter what I think or may feel, God is true. And so through him, the amen, the as you have said, Lord, so let it be to me, is spoken by us to the glory of Almighty God. So what of this miracle then? Thank you for reading to us, brother. It says that this was the first miracle. Very interesting passage, this. Our question on the table is, why did Jesus turn the water into wine? And I'm sure there are many, many 
ways in which we love this passage. I think Jesus really cares about people. I mean, this becomes obvious. You talk about the feeding of people when they're hungry, healing people when they're sick. And maybe if Jesus is a guest at our banquet and we run out of things, he would care about that. I think it's wonderful because God really, truly cares about us, not just spiritually, but physically. He cares for us. We might say that this is about the fact that Jesus endorsed marriage. Absolutely go to Ephesians chapter 5 and we're going to see that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Yes, Jesus endorsed marriage. But there's another meaning and in order to set up this passage we would want to go to the antecedent passage. Now you may or may not agree with me but let's humor me with this antecedent. John chapter 1 and verse 14 and the word came to be flesh and made his dwelling among us And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies, this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, concerning him and cries out. And he says, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. Wow! (laughs) Come on, give us an explanation of that one, John. What do you mean the one who came after me has surpassed me because he was before me? He says, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace. I don't know about you, but am I thankful for the grace upon grace, upon grace? Well, if this is the antecedent text, what then is a possible meaning of the turning of the water into wine? We're told very clearly in this passage that nearby stood six stone water jars. Now it's obvious that these stone water jars had a purpose. And they would have been at this wedding because there was a feast. And it was the common custom, which was also a religious custom, to go through ritual cleansing. We know that, for example, if you were to go to the southern steppes today in Jerusalem, you will find these big baths and they have steps going down into them and steps coming out of them. And it was the practice of the Jews prior to entering worship to be ritually clean, which meant they would go down into the mikvah, 
immerse themselves and come out and then they would be ritually clean. Water was used for ritual cleansing. It was all a part of the provisions of the old covenant and the customs that were there. So we are told very specifically in this text that there were six Water jars, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Each of them holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so if you read the text, it says, and so they filled them all the way to the top, to the brim, all the way, six stone jars, filled to the top. Then Jesus said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. So you can just imagine they walked over to the ceremonial washing jars, They were filled with brim, they took some out, and they went and just so happened that on hand was a connoisseur from the Napa Valley. Isn't that amazing? And he did not know where this came from, although the servants knew. And so they gave it to the connoisseur, to the maitre d', to the master of the banquet. And he tasted it and he said, I'm confused. Most people bring out the good wine first. And then, when the guests have had too much to drink, they bring out the cheap stuff. But you haven't done that. You have left the best until now. And so we come to understand that these ceremonial jars represented the old covenant. And the filling of the jars all the way to the brim represented the fulfillment of all of the righteous requirements of the old covenant. And that Jesus is the new wine of the new covenant. And for those who taste of the new wine of the new covenant, the declaration is, wow, you've lived the best until now. So if God is called the old covenant obsolete. And if God has established the new covenant, and if Jesus cried and says, it is finished, why is it that sometimes we don't enjoy the benefits, all of the benefits of the new covenant? Well, that's a good question. Because you see, God is able to take us at any point. But there's a prerequisite. 
We talked last week about the degrees of comparison. And there's the normative, and there's the comparative, and then there's the superlative. And you and I don't know at any point where we actually are. We don't know. But a humble heart goes before Almighty God and says, God, I don't know what I don't know. But you are the one who turns the light on. You're able to give revelation. And the purpose of revelation is not to keep us stuck where we are, but rather to take us further into the majesty of all of the vistas of the awesomeness of Almighty God. Where are you today? Maybe you've walked with the Lord a long time. Maybe you have learned and studied the scriptures. Maybe you have served the Lord faithfully. What do you think God wants for you? What would be delightful to God if there is another provision that we have not yet tasted? Would it be glorious to God for us to enter into it? I believe so. He is Abba, Father, and is glorified most when His kids appropriate all of the rich provisions of the new covenant and declare, wow, what an awesome God. Well, what exactly are those provisions? Number one, a new heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. In fact, this is the promise of Ezekiel 36. The promise of Ezekiel 36. I'll try and find it in my scripture because I think God's word just speaks for itself right here. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you. I will empower you to follow decrees and laws because it will be good for you. This is in sharp contrast to try harder Christianity. Uh, we can go away from any sermon saying, Lord, I heard your truth and I'm going to do better. And then halfway through the week, we know that more than likely, the very thing we were so earnest to do we ended up falling short and then we're back here again on Sunday with the rededication blues. 
Does God have something different? Absolutely. It's amazing when you fall in love, it motivates and propels. It compels. There's an inner compulsion. Nobody has to come and twist your arm (laughs) to want to spend time and be generous and conversational. When you fall in love, something happens. Come on now, don't just look at me like that. It's my wife and I love her. You you don't have to say, well, I'm going to tie you down here to go and spend time with her. You've got to be kidding. I get up really early. I can't wait for her to wake up in the morning. Because then I get to see her. And my heart just leaps within me with anticipation. Can it be that way with God? Absolutely. God's promise is to give us a new heart to love Him. We won't need to be taught to do it. It'll be that kind of desire that we have for God. Not only the new heart to love Him, but God promises the full measure of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 2, you remember that chapter? This is Pentecost. Remember that? Peter's, people said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, you guys are drunk, man. What's up with you? And Peter stood up and he said, nope, not drunk. It's early in the morning. He said to them, this is the fulfillment of of the prophecy of Joel. In those days I'm going to, listen to this, pour out my spirit. Friends, God is generous. He loves not just to eke the spirit to us. Or, hmm, I think you kind of performed well today. I'll give you a little bit. And no, you're not so well. I think I'll just withdraw the Spirit. That's not the promise of God. The promise of God is the fullness of the Holy Spirit that God promised to pour out lavishly and generously. I know we have a huge clergy, laity mentality. We have a sacred, secular mentality. John's just going to turn around in the letters and say, you have the anointing. It's so matter of fact. It's really time for God's people to take God at his word. Let Satan be a liar and speak in agreement with God. God, I thank you That whether I feel spiritual or not, thank you that I have the full measure of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. Go to Romans chapter 8. He's the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He is Christ in us. This is who the Holy Spirit is. 
He's not an it or thing. God changed my language. When I started to understand the fullness of the Holy Spirit and I stopped calling the Holy Spirit thing. It. You like being called it? Come on now. No. God, you are God the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for your presence within me. So we have the new heart to love God. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then something else happened in Acts chapter 2. There were multiple miracles. There was the sound of the rushing wind. Do you remember that? And then something else happened. Remember what happened? What appeared on top of their heads? Tongues of fire. What the heck is that all about? The gift is not just a new heart to love God and the full measure of the Holy Spirit, but the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now fire is amazing. It tends to burn old things out. It tends to take away the stuff that doesn't count anymore. I would expect that it would take away anything that was obsolete. Just burn it up. Interesting to go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And there you're going to find Elijah. One prophet on Mount Carmel. Against all of the prophets of Baal. And multiple other prophets. And they enter into a conquest. And so Elijah says to them, look, I tell you what. Stop wavering between the two opinions. If God is God, let him be God. Serve him. And on that mountain, Elijah says to them, you go first, seeing there's a lot of you. And so they go and repair or they build the altar of Baal. And so they call on their God. Answer us, answer us. Elijah's looking at his nice Apple watch. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Noon time, he starts to mock them. Hey, maybe... Maybe your God's gone, uh, you know, maybe he's having a snooze or maybe he's gone away or maybe he's gone to the restroom, whatever. And all afternoon they shout and cut themselves and go through all kinds of antics to call the fire down on their altar. At the time of sacrifice, Elijah repairs the altar of the old covenant. Twelve stones representing the tribes of Israel. He puts the wood down, puts the sacrifice on top, then he gets water. Pours it on, pours it on, pours it on. It runs down into the trench. Elijah gets down says, God, Please answer me. 
The Bible says fire falls from heaven, burns the sacrifice, consumes the wood, eats up the stones, evaporates all the water, and go and read it. It even eats the dust. Nothing is left. And you and I both know that we have such a propensity to dip our toe into the provisions of the new covenant and then we go back to performance-based. And we want to serve our God and welcome the Holy Spirit. But then we find ourselves going back to performance-based acceptance. And then we wear ourselves out and come to the reality of our bios. And we get anxious and afraid. And in that moment of exhaustion, we say, God, where are you? And then we turn around and, oh, he's right there. And God renews us and refreshes us. And boy, do we... Love that and we start to walk in the power of the Spirit and enjoy that. And then the next trial comes and, boy, don't we waver between two opinions. And so we start to go back to performance in the flesh and try to handle our lives and make it happen. And then we get weary and exhausted and we get on our knees and say, God, where are you? And we turn back again. And we have duplicity. We have daisuke. We try to go east and west at the same time. We try to go north and south. And instead of going on the journey with God, we have daisuke, which means double-souled. Which means we are double minded and the Bible says if you're double minded don't expect to pick up the provisions of God because all of the wonderful provisions are on the road and the journey of the new covenant that one is obsolete so what does the fire of the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit Burns out what is obsolete. You say, well, why aren't you like that? Well, did you ask him? Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Did you ever get into your accountability group and say, you know, that weird guy spoke the other, he talked about the fire of the Holy Spirit and I've been checking that out. And, you know, I do believe I've got the Holy Spirit, but maybe I've never prayed that prayer. And I just keep on trying this and then going back to that. And eventually in your exhaustion you say, would you pray for me? Because I don't want to do that anymore. You know who doesn't want that for us folks? God! He doesn't want that for us. He's glorified. When the dross of the old covenant is burned out of us. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 2 helps us understand this. And here we're going to go back to why did Jesus turn the water into wine? Listen to this. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making a tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Jesus turned water into wine. It's clear that those old jars were filled to the brim. There were six of them. God worked for six days and on the seventh He rested from all his work. Hebrews chapter 4 says, As long as it is today, go and read it. It's capitalized. You know what it's talking about? On the seventh day God rested. On the Sabbath, Jesus finished all of the work necessary for the provisions of the new covenant to become ours. What about you? Are you wavering between two opinions? Well, you know, I'm just not really a spiritual Christian. Well, you know, if I just try hard, I'll be more spiritual. You know what God says to you today? Just simply, have you trusted in Jesus? Why did you trust in him? You know why you did? Because you knew that if you died without him, you'd go to hell forever and ever. And when you trusted in Jesus, God fully and completely not only washed you, God made you his child through faith, adopted you in his family and gave you the spirit of adoption and is calling out to you, Abba, Father, I'm your daddy. You know that that's true. But yet some of us have two gospels, you see. The one is for justification and the other one is sanctification. No, how do I live this life. Well, that's called try harder Christianity. And God says, no, I've only got one gospel. It's the gospel that saves you. It's the gospel by which you're seated in Christ. And it's the gospel by which we live. It's the same gospel. And today... God simply says, right where you are, God can give you a holy dissatisfaction. And then, he'll show you his provision. And prayer is the gymnasium of faith, folks. 
It's how we exercise faith. And right there in your heart, you can get on your knees before God even while you're seated and call upon the name of the Lord and say, Thank you for the great gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I invite you to burn out the obsolete and I invite you let, to let me taste the provisions of the new covenant and declare, Woo! This is really good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I believe in my heart, God, you have raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, you are Lord. You are my Lord. I thank you for the authority that you have given to me to live by your resurrection life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I invite you to stir up the heart of the new covenant. I thank you for the Spirit of God in fullness. And Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my mind where I think, my heart where I feel, my soul where I relate, and into my body. I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do your work in me. And let it be evident through me. In the name of Jesus, God's people said, Amen.